Good evening, sir. All right, everybody. This is episode 62 of the Beef and Bitcoin podcast with your hosts, Brett and CH. Today's topics, we have a single, yeah, I guess a little bit of a single single topic. topic. It's really just, you know, we've got central bank digital currencies coming out the wazoo over here. And um, it was nice because I saw all this news kind of unfold within the last week or two. And I was like, you know what? This is a good time to put together an episode and kind of cover cover all of these news topics because you and I have been speculating on this for the past couple of weeks about how (laughs) we think there's going to be a little bit of a bait and switch between central bank digital currencies and their their current fiat currencies that they have. So uh, we we have a clip from... um, Lagarde for the ECB stablecoin that she mentions. Sweden looks like they're getting ready to launch their e-krona uh, currency, which isn't using a blockchain, and we'll get into more of that later. And then our, our good friends over in China look China. like they're going to launch a digital currency coming soon. And I, my guess is they'll be the first ones to really kind of pull this off at mass scale. But uh, how you doing this week? Doing good. Um, you know, as I said, I, this is like, we're going to say it's like, we have three different little news stories, but it's all one topic. You know, we've covered it numerous times, uh, and I'll kind of spit out from the start. Like, it's this whole idea that stable coins are so much different than fiat currency. They aren't. It's central banks have a system that is teetering on the edge of collapse, and they know it, and that's why we have this whole repo thing going on. That's why we have so many different random things going on, like quantitative easings coming back. And from well, quantitative easing for the U.S., but obviously the ECB, BOJ, and other people have been doing it for a while. Like the BOJ owns over 50% of the uh, Nikki 225, uh, and interest rates are at negative or zero for majority of countries across the globe. Um, they know their current system isn't stable. They are trying whatever they can do to make a very seamless transition from the current paper fiat money system to a digital fiat system and hope that everyone is too distracted or ignorant to notice it and that's what's going to happen or that's what they're trying to do um and we see what like the perfect example is crypto i just brought this quote up but you can't see it in the screen because i just brought it up on another tab but it's kind of like the first they ignore you then they laugh at you then they attack you then you win um we kind of see the crypto where in bitcoin where it was kind of ignored for quite a while i think smart people were into it obviously once the 2013 2014 bubble happened because people realized this is kind of big and that you can make a whole digital marketplace without any intermediaries, um, which is huge. You get internet money. And so now, you know, over the course of six, the last six years, we've seen even even in 2017, the stablecoin talk from central banks was not there. Um, it really didn't kick in until, you know, 2018. And in 2019, it's went full ramp. And we've seen towards the end here. As I said, I, I think they are really going to try to jump the tracks from one railroad track to the next, I'm just kind of using a good analogy there, as seamlessly as possible. But obviously, that's not possible because railroad, unless you have like a switch in the railroad track, that's not going to happen. Um, and you know, maybe their hope is that people are going to be too distracted by things like impeachment in the U.S. or other random things going on to notice. Because you know, most news doesn't cover. You know, like you, you rarely, if you watch mainstream news, they aren't covering. You know, oh, is our 2020 budget going to get passed in the U.S. or why every country is so in debt and why every corporation is so in debt and why are interest rates zero? Why aren't we getting paid in our savings? You know, um, so my thoughts are it is them trying to prolong this fiat system by switching to another one 
one which they can um, tax at all times because it'll be like a digital currency. So it won't, getting taxes will be really easy and just charge all the time. Um, two, it's digital. So now they can just charge negative rates on everyone and you'll just be losing money all the time. So you're just going to force you to spend it. Uh, and then, you know, three, everything's tracked. Uh, I hate to say it, we're heading towards that 1984 Orwellian panopticon where everything you do is tracked. It already is happening. We have iPhones that track locations at all times. Um, and like, I thought it was pretty funny uh, just because I heard this because I was listening to a podcast. And of course, Jeffrey Epstein and Eddie Bravo was talking about how like, you know, how, do, how the fuck do... I don't even get a Bravo into this, but Bravo was like, how the fuck do we, um, he's like, the only, um, it was GPS and like, you know how if you use Google Maps, like Waze, it shows where it's congested. And Eddie Bravo was like, he's like, it has to be that everyone's cell phones are there when, when there's a, you know, all these cell phones piled up on the freeway over here, you know, the GPS automatically says, this is not a good route. We're going to take you to another route. And that's why a lot of times when you like, if you've ever been in an area where things get rerouted and everyone gets rerouted on the same path, I had that happen when I was driving from New Orleans back to South Carolina where like the freeway was shut down and everyone was taking the same back road to get back to the freeway. And it was hilarious. So, um, but that's a little off topic, but you know, other than that, let's, you ready to jump in? Yeah, man. What do you think? Should we play that, uh, clip from Lagarde yeah. first yeah. and then jump into it? So, uh, for those who don't know, Christine Lagarde was the, uh, former IMF president. That's president, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm almost positive president. She was had basically head person. And now she is the ECB president, taking over from Mario Draghi, who is selling his seat at the top and probably <laughs> residing in some ivory tower somewhere on a mountain, hopefully in the Alps, away <laughs> from the peasants. Here goes the clip. My personal conviction is that given the d developments we're seeing, not so much in the Bitcoin segment, but in the stablecoins projects and we only know of one at the moment but there are others uh, being being explored and underway at the moment we'd better be ahead of the curve if that happens because there is clearly a demand out there that we have to respond to my personal conviction um what are your thoughts on her saying that there's a demand out there for stable coins yeah so I saw a tweet from uh, Dan Lacall, I think, or Dan Lacaye, and and he 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 retweeted that um, that quick snippet with a comment saying there is no demand for central bank controlled digital currency, and I think there's a good distinction and a difference between a central bank digital currency and the current set of stablecoins that we have here, and somebody else had mentioned that. There is a large demand for stable coins, but it's really coming only from Bitcoin and cryptocurrency trading. Like that's where the demand is being driven from for a stable coin. People want to be able to trade in and out of assets to uh, lock in profits or protect themselves from volatility. And they need something. I, I, I don't like that it's called stable coin because as we've seen, these uh, stable coins can be anything but stable. Um, but that's really where the demand is coming from. And I think if you're someone like the president of the ECB, you can you can take that narrative and kind of run with it and say, oh, there, there's all this demand for stable coins, even though we're talking about a, uh, a stable coin, something like Tether that has demand just from uh, Bitcoin trading, then you can flip that narrative and say, that's where we're heading next. So we want to be ahead of the curve. And, you know, if you also notice, she, she dismissed Bitcoin um, in that, in that comment because 
um, it's not really applicable. Like they don't, the, the ECB wants, yeah, they don't control They They want nothing to do with Bitcoin and they're going to do their best to kind of push that aside. And, and I, I'm not sure if they have any, um, thoughts around it, around Bitcoin and is it even a threat yet? And I, my, my personal guess is no, that they don't really see Bitcoin as a threat, which is to me, that's a great thing. That means it's still small enough. It's still far enough under the radar that they're not too concerned with it. And to be quite honest with you, if I'm running the ECB, um, I'm more concerned that my currency is about to fail within the next couple of years and, and trying to do whatever you can do to stop that. So I'd be less concerned with Bitcoin and more concerned with how do I keep my currency from collapsing. So I, I think it's a good thing that they're talking about this. And, you know, we've been hinting and warning about this for the last couple of months here that, and just as you said, how do you start leaking knowledge to the media and to others about uh, a digital currency might be coming soon? So that way, in the worst case of scenarios, when you have prior knowledge that your currency is about to collapse, you can kind of make that switch and and try to have a smoother transition rather than just a complete collapse or hyperinflation or something like that. Which they're going on, but... It was going on for the better part of what night. Twenty grand just sold. Like something's wrong with the monetary system when that's happening. Right. Yeah, I mean it's unbelievable. I don't. I don't know if we covered that on another podcast. I'm sure we did about the about the banana that was taped to the wall that was with duct tape that sold for a hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and then the guy ate it and all this stuff. And then somebody wrote Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself over that. And that person was actually the only person that got arrested in that whole scenario, which is absolutely hysterical. Um, but it all, when we think about this gigantic puzzle that we've been trying to put together for the last year here, all of a sudden these puzzle pieces are really starting to fit together. Um, you know, fiat currencies are having a lot of trouble. The legacy financial system seems like it's kind of teetering here. And now you have multiple um, different countries talking about issuing a digital currency. And we'll get into uh, more of those here in a second. But I just, you know, Brexit looks like it wants to happen soon. Um, and you have the pound really jumped on that news of, of uh, Boris Johnson being elected. And I think that's pretty interesting. And if you're thinking about the EU holistically and, and you can see more countries that might be starting to think about exiting the, the European Union, you know, if you're the ECB, that's when you're really going full bore into, hey, we might need to think about how we're going to handle this situation. And that's where the ECB stablecoin really starts to come in. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that in particular. 
Oh, uh, no, I, I just, I didn't realize how much the pound had rallied in this past week and a half. I hadn't looked at it because I'd been on the road and whatever, but holy cow, it's rallied like 5% at least on top of from that September low. It, there, there's just so much. It feels like we're, again, this, again, stable coin, geopolitics, monetary system teetering. It all, it's all, we're all like, as we were talking about the last podcast, like student loan debt, you talk auto loan debt, you could talk, you know, national debt. It's all, we're all converging at this giant point, it feels like. And like uh, that Sven, uh, Sven Heydrich, he points it out, Northman Trader always points it out, like with those just long, very long-term charts, it all, we're all converging at this point, it feels like. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we are converging and it seems like we're getting closer to that tipping point. And to me, it's just not a surprise that every other country now, the central bank is talking about moving to a digital digital currency. And um, I, I mean, I guess that's what I would do if I were running a central bank. Like you need to look for the next system that you can transition to. And um, you need to figure out how to do that as smoothly as possible. And the scary part is, is that, as you alluded to earlier, it can get pretty dystopian when you think about uh, the privacy aspects of digital currency, um, the ability to issue more digital currency without it, without a check there. You, you can you can just increase the money supply as much as you want. And the holders of that currency are going to have to pay the tax of inflation. And they don't really have any say about it. It's just going to happen whether they want it to or not. And that's on one hand, that's my my biggest fear when we talk about um, central bank or or Fed coin, whatever whatever you want to call it, that does scare me. But on the other hand, um, the accelerationist in me says, "Well, go ahead, like print it because you're only gonna you're gonna speed up the the collapse of that system because it's just not gonna last." Um, and 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 typically, things only really change when it just doesn't work anymore. It's just not possible. We cannot perform economic calculation. The money stops working. Um, so, I mean, if you're going to speed up that process, yeah, it's going to be a bumpy ride for you and I, but at least we're going to kind of get it over with and finish it here. But I did think it was interesting that the pound kind of jumped and, um, I don't know. I don't think Great Britain has spoken up too much about digital currencies one way or another, but it will be interesting to see if they do in, in, in 2020, especially if, you know, Brexit actually does happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If it ever does happen, I mean, what's been a three year ongoing exit. I mean, it's, it's, it's a nightmare for them. And I, I couldn't, I mean, obviously our politics are crazy in the U S nothing gets done here. And I think it's the same for them. If you ever get a chance, just watch like UK Parliament. Them yelling at each other is the funniest thing ever. It's 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 so unlike the US, and it's hilarious. Listen, <laughs> people, if, if you get a chance, it's hilarious. Um, yeah, yeah. Rallo Pal mentioned this. Um, I was listening to one of the podcasts. We we're talking about. I think it was a Bitcoin and gold podcast. Just mentioning you know the future of the money monetary system. And you made they made, they made a very good point. You do not want the transition like. You want there to be another system there when the fiat system stops working. You do. Because if there's nothing right. there, it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. And, you know, if people can't make transactions, business completely shuts down. And, and without money, we will reverse back into the brutal creatures that humans are. That is just a sad reality. 
if, if I can't exchange, you know, if someone can't, I'm not, I don't want to use myself. If someone can't exchange something, you know, with, with the way that, you know, because the U.S. dollar is very liquid, and, you know, if I, if I want to pay someone, you know, $100 for a service and it's a demo, you know, that's, you know, that person justifies that service as $100, it's very easy. It's going to be tough for me to pay them, you know, in, you know, chocolate or hamburger meat or something else. It's going to be very tough. But if I have something that, you know, people unanimously accept, like a dollar, like a pound, like a, a euro, etc., um, it makes it much easier. And that's why I'm always so pessimistic because this, this, the shenanigans can only go on for so long. And I think, I think now with our access to information and as we talk about, even though we looked up in the last podcast, we were surprised that the fiat term has not hit its peak since like 2011, which would make sense because gold was peaking then. Um, and maybe we'll see it come back around if we see another gold high or gold, right. you know, all time high and silver all time high. Got surprised we didn't see that see a high during the Bitcoin bubble. Um, I was really shocked. Like there's a a little blip there, but nowhere near what what was in 2011 according to Google Trends. Yeah, no, that that is interesting, <laughs> and I think you make a good point by bringing up what Raul Paul was saying is how. It is important that you have a parallel financial system that is being built. And I think that when you think about these bubbles are now happening on a global scale, um, it, you know, there's there's a theory that the bubbles won't all pop at once. And if they pop at different times, is it possible to for the parallel financial system that's being built to absorb um, the bubbles and that debt that is being extinguished from one to the other. And, you know, how do you, how do you smoothen out that transition from the legacy system to the next system that we're going to, going to move to? Um, so I try to, I try to think about it in more of an op optimistic way that it's very important that the financialization of something like Bitcoin continues and that, uh, more and more financial services are are built on top of it because the reality is you're right. If if you don't have uh, a money to transition to over time slowly and let these bubbles kind of happen and and kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for just kind of evaporate into nothingness. It it does need to move over into a new system, and I you know we talk about this all the time, but I really think that's why we're seeing so much of the the news surrounding new central bank digital currencies. And you know, I guess that's a good way to transition into Sweden's e-krona here. Um, it looks like Accenture has won the bid to start building uh, Sweden's e-krona digital currency uh, to run that pilot. And, you know, again, the, the dystopian scenario is that this cashless society can get a lot worse. And uh, Alex Gladstein has a really good uh, talk about Bitcoin and cashless societies and how how bad cashless societies can get. And I, I don't like that that narrative is pushed by kind of the technocratic elite that cashless is better. And it, it's certainly not because it takes away from individual freedoms and liberty. And that's definitely not a good thing for any economy, regardless of how you like to think about it. But I did think it was interesting that in the note from uh, Sweden's e-krona that they wouldn't be using any in, in quotes, blockchain technology, because it's just not necessary to have an inefficient database for a centralized technology. It, ju it just really doesn't make any sense. So I do like that 
um, they're taking that approach because I think it solidifies the fact that uh, uh, using a blockchain is really only necessary when you're trying to build something decentralized where you need that external energy cost outside of the system, right? That's why proof of work is is so critical in, in maintaining the decentralization of Bitcoin. Whereas centralized currency, I mean, PayPal works just fine. It, you know, it really does not matter. You don't need to make a, 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 a fancy, inefficient um, database for, for a digital currency like this, especially if it's centralized and issued from a central party. It's really just not necessary. So um, what are your thoughts on kind of the, and we'll probably talk more about this as we talk about China's digital currency, but just the the dystopian and Orwellian nature of issuing these digital currencies. You know, I obviously, I'm like very much a freedom person and I don't like libertarian because I can use the term libertarian, but if you put a gun in my head, I lean more conservative than liberal. But it's, uh, it is scary when you study history and you look at what's happening, like, you know, at the beginning of the 20th century, humans were relatively free. Government imposed very little on their lives. In the U.S., for instance, there was no federal income tax. That didn't happen until the federal reserve. I want to say 1911. Yeah, 1913, I think. Yeah, yeah. 1911 or 1913 was when they imposed the, the Federal Reserve Act was 1913. But I want to say they imposed the income tax like two years before, something like that was when they began. But and it's, it's interesting because I was reading, you know, I read a book on Rockefeller and it talked about how that was a huge change because now, now all of a sudden you're, his, you know, he's, he has a huge fortune and he's paying X amount of dollars, you know, whatever it was per year to the federal government. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm obviously worried in some sense because people don't really look into these things. And I try to make people aware of this stuff by posting sarcasm on this, like on this stuff and kind of blatantly putting it out there, like get your head out of the sand type of stuff on Twitter and Instagram. And just even in general in public, when I talk to people, because it, 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 is, it is worrisome because I think a lot of people are just kind of sleep at the wheel and they don't think about, you know, many people don't even think about the money they use. They don't even think this currency is completely worthless and it is all based on belief. Not that every currency isn't based on or money isn't based on belief, but when your currency is printed into thin air and a perfect example I like to use is like the Pentagon has $21 trillion and accounted for. That's nearly the size of the U.S. national debt, which is not $23 trillion and constantly climbing. And it'll be $24 trillion probably in a few months, if not even. Um, it's a big issue. That That's money that has to still be paid. And um, it's, again, they just have these black, you know, these black budgets, you know, these whatever that just come out of nowhere, black hole budgets, whatever you want to call them. And I have, you know, I have a hard way of putting it in my tongue, but like the, the going to a stable coin I don't even like using stable coins, the wrong term going to a digital currency because no coin stable, nothing is stable. I don't care what you use. Um, obviously gold and silver are more stable back then than current fiat standards. They are, they're not stable coins. They're just digital currencies. These digital currencies are scary because one, as I talked about probably early on in the episode, you have the, the taxation, they could implement taxation on people for using, you know, us fed coin and the ECB coin, um, the negative interest rates, so now that instead of having, you know, maybe you want to hold cash so you don't get charged negative rates at your bank if you live in Europe somewhere or live in Japan, you're like, oh, I'm going to hold all my cash savings in a safe where they are safe from being charged negative rates because it makes no sense. Like, and I remember they mentioned on a, po I was a podcast I listened to, it's like, if you're a large holder of cash now, you want to 
you know, there's going to be demand to put these things in physical cash and safes. There's just, there's no way around it. And then, you know, lastly is the panopticon of every transaction's recorded and they can see where every stable coin has been sent to who, where, what. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely don't like it either. And, and, uh, on one hand, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous that it could make things worse. But on the other hand, if it gets implemented, I have no doubt that things will get worse and, and people will only then choose to understand that, Hey, maybe, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. I don't want, um, even though I <laughs> don't have anything to hide, it is not fun to have um, your privacy just infringed upon like that. So, uh, you know, on one hand, it sucks, but on the other hand, it will inevitably not work, and people will start to realize, um, obviously, how how terrible something like a a centralized digital um, currency is when issued from a central bank, and uh, you know, to transition into China's digital currency, uh, you know. Just my guess is China's going to be the first one to really pull this off. They have Alipay up and running. They have WeChat up and running. Um, we were talking about this before we got started. Uh, it, you know, the, these tests for China's digital currency were supposed to be coming in the next couple months here are going to include seven state-owned firms, uh, the four largest commercial banks, and three big telecom companies. And it makes sense that they're heading this way because mobile payments made up more than 80% of all payments in China in 2018. And that's up from, you know, less than 20% in 2013. And that's staggering when you think about it. I mean, China's really leading the way from, uh, from a mobile payment perspective. And even now when I'm out in public or I'm out at the local stores, I mean, I'm probably the only asshole who's using Apple pay that I see. I mean, not too many people are using it. They're still, sticking with the credit cards, or even there's still a lot of cash floating around. I mean, I have recently gotten back into cash because I I think it's important to kind of use it and make sure that it's still circulating with people. I think, I think that is important, but you can see how a totalitarian state can um, really take this to the next level very, very quickly. And, you know, from a, when I think about it from a privacy perspective, uh, that article that we were referencing for China's digital currency, um, they had, you know, questioned what about the degree of anonymity in there and the privacy aspect, and um, the DCP said that it will try to offer at least some degree of anonymity, but it didn't explain how that would even work. So, in other words, uh, expect absolutely zero privacy if you're using a, you know, the the upcoming Chinese digital currency. It. It's there's, just really not. No, I mean, they have there. a social credit score where it doesn't allow you to what get on trains or buy tickets for air, you know, air, yep. an air ticket, yep. solely because your social credit score isn't high enough. Um, if that doesn't scare you, if that doesn't worry you, that China's doing it. And the big thing also is here again, U.S. corporations that support China and allow these firewalls, and you know, don't care obviously about privacy and other digital rights. It, it's clear as day. Um, obviously, they have a profit incentive, like China's, you know what like 20 percent of the world population basically maybe a little less now but it's a good chunk yeah no that's a lot of people that are under um that would be using a digital currency all, all of a sudden and it can I, you know things like that can just happen really quickly when you have such a overarching power of the state um 
it does get scary for sure. And I think it's important to keep your eye on what happens in China, especially regarding uh, the currency that they're using and, and how they implement a digital currency, because other countries will need to look at that, watch, and then learn, because they will be the first to kind of get this done, and they're going to absolutely make mistakes. And you can see that the amount of debt that they've uh, accrued over the last few decades, um, there's just a, there's a lot of malinvestment that's happened there, and I think it's starting to unravel, right? I mean, there, it just doesn't last forever, and and that's. It Again, we, we, you know, we speculate on this all the time, but this is the exact reason why when you default on your currency and every single fiat currency has defaulted at one point or another, including the U.S. dollar, right? We've, yeah. How many times have we gone off the gold standard? I mean, that's what a default is, right? Yeah, we, we do not have the gold, I, I, period. I don't care what you say. Like, that's that's the default. That's what it looks like. Now, if you ask any American on the planet – they're going to say the U.S. dollar's never defaulted. What are you talking about? Because you know they just don't know any better. And this is how you get around defaulting your current fiat currency. You just switch to a new digital one, fully digital, um, and you get it done smoothly. And nobody, nobody's the wiser. You just said it perfectly. You know, it's just like how in 1971 the U.S. moved off that gold standard, and yeah, there was a little, you know, ruffles around the feathers gas prices, food prices. Obviously, Americans were hit hard with inflation, but it was reined in, and you had the 80s and the 90s, and people forgot about it. And even though prices obviously kept going up, people, you know, I think a lot of people don't tend to notice it um, because they're just focused on other things. And and you and I even are guilty of this too. We, we, you know, we record a podcast every few days, and it's like we t- these things take a while to happen. Tops take a while. They just do. You know, um, the, the, the distribution process, it, it's, it's not a single day event. It's a process as, um, stock cats said on Twitter, the process of unloading bags on retail's head isn't, it's not a one day event. It's a process. Um, right. And you know, where the market goes from here, I don't know, but we can't deny that quantitative easing is not having an effect. There's just no way around it. I mean, without it, our markets would be nowhere. I, you know, I, and sure, would there have been a lot of pain in 2010, 2011, 2012, probably 2013? Hell yeah, there would have been a lot of pain. Um, it would have taken a hell of a lot longer to get out of it. But we're in this new normal now where, and I have, as I always say, I have nothing against making money and wealth. But when you see these extreme polar opposites of what the 0.1% owns and the bottom percentage owns, you, what's happening is what we're, we're asking for is basically the French style revolution of like the guillotine in the 1700s. That is what you're asking for. I mean, at, at some point, you know, the bottom half of the um, of the population, you know, in terms of wealth, it's going to just not, gonna, and it's more than the bottom half now. It's probably, you'd say, I'd say basically anyone below the, you know, nine, you know, what, 90th right, percentile? Right. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It really, realistically, because like you could be, if unless you live in an area where it's very cheap to live, um, you know, where you have very low taxes or no taxes, for example, in America, um, you are, you know, most people make like, the, what's the median income right now? It's like 30 something. Yeah, probably. It, it's, and that's nothing. And then when you think about people, like I'm a single 24 year old, so that's different for me. But when you talk about people who make 
that type of money make 35 grand a year and then have like kids to support a family it's like where, where do you have any savings you know how can right. you buy how can you buy a 1800 share of amazon or you can only buy two shares of apple because it's at 275 dollars it's like you know and that's that's this is where this whole thing's getting really really distorted and, and until we get a um reversion to mean is what we need and i said it last podcast on 61 until we get that it's going to stay this way and that's why we're going to keep seeing these hong like hong kong-esque protests or the the parisian protests or protests in venezuela or protests in chile like i think it was um there was supposed to be that big meeting with china and the u.s and a bunch of other countries in chile but it got canceled because of the protests and that wasn't right. too long ago i think it was supposed to be actually like the protest or the meeting was supposed to be like a week ago or something but because of the um, just the situation on the ground in Chile was not friendly for people like President Xi, you know, um, obviously President Trump and his administration and other people to fly in there because it wasn't stable. Just wasn't, you know, I think we'll continue to see that until there is some kind of reversion. Right. No, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. And I hope that all this digital currency uh, being issued by central banks sparks more interest in Bitcoin. In Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, uh, it just like, I mean, we covered this on a podcast earlier when, when China has a, had a full, full blown analysis on Bitcoin, exactly how it works, how it's decentralized, um, proof of work, all that stuff. I mean, they really explained it very well. And now you're one step closer to China launching a digital currency, and you know you almost have to use the allure of 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 Bitcoin to to say, well, you know, we've got something better than that. So why don't you take a look at this digital currency, and this is what we're going to, and this is going to lead to all this prosperity and all, all this nonsense. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, the the more inflationary monetary policy that we see should only benefit. Um, anything that you would consider sound money. And that's important because, as we always say, price drives adoption. And as number continues to go up, uh, you cannot avoid, now let me put it this way, nobody's above getting rich. And when I say that, I mean, no one's going to not buy an asset that they have access to that is going up tremendously and exponentially. Um, because they don't understand it. It's just not going to happen. That was me in 2017. Uh, I saw other people getting rich. I wasn't. I bought. I didn't have to really <laughs> think too much about it. Like it wasn't like anybody needed Thought to convince process me. out the window. Well, you, you know, I I, uh, I responded to – I think the guy's name's like Alex Kruger on Twitter or something like that. I think he – tries to be some sort of an economist or something. And he was talking about, you know, how do you, how do you convince people about Bitcoin? And I kind of responded to him and he, he ended up liking the, liking my tweet. And I said, people will convince themselves if number go up, people will come up with whatever, um, whatever narrative in their head in order to buy it. They don't need to be convinced. They will talk themselves into it. They will see number go up and say, I want a piece of that. I'm going to buy now and I'll learn about it later. It's just like shoot first, ask questions later, right? It's the same exact thing. No one is above their own selfish interest and greed. And I don't want to say greed is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. And I think the incentives of greed, especially when you're talking about a free market system, allows the incentive mechanism to end up working very, very well. So no one's above 
getting rich, right? So people will start to look at these things, especially in as the inflationary environment continues with these with these digital uh, central bank digital currencies. Yeah, it's the I mean, every human has greed. Uh, I can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. You know, if, when prices go up, as we say, prices drive adoption. It's the same thing with Bitcoin. It's the same thing with equities. Say bonds, but bonds are boring. Uh, gold, oil, you name it. Um, well, I guess oil depends, but still, price drives adoption here, and shortly enough, we will see where this all pans out. And I, I, I really, I want to see where this pans out, and I, I hope we're still recording unless we stay at this permanent plateau for another decade and we just die because we can't stand it anymore. But I hope that's not <laughs> yeah. the case. I really yeah. hope that, and obviously that's not going to happen. When you zoom out in the S and P chart, it's like, holy shit! You know, at at some point we will reach a top here. Like, there's just no way. Right. There's there's just there's no way around it. We're gonna hit a top somewhere. I don't know, but it's getting pretty vertical. Yeah. No, it it's coming here shortly. Um, and shortly could yeah. be a month, or it could be a year. <laughs> right. 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 No, it it always takes longer than you think, and listening to us if you've been listening since episode one we thought this would have happened uh nine months ago so not even you nine know, months it was last year this time when we record like oh it was the end of the world right right and it, it it really did feel that way and you know i think a good way to wrap this up is to make sure you keep your emotions in check and to keep your finger on the pulse like there is a reason that all of these central banks are talking about launching digital currencies so you know, keep that in the back of your mind when you're putting together your own puzzle piece about what's happening uh, globally here and, and how to think about as you transition into the into the digital age, what are you going to do about it? Because um, you do have a chance now to take back your monetary sovereignty. So you need to uh, don't waste the time that is going to go by. Just like we say, look, it's so it's impossible to predict the future and see how things happen. This time is going to go by no matter what, and you need to really make it count. You need to dig in. You need to double down on educating yourself, learning new skills, um, acquiring hard assets, whether that's Bitcoin, gold, uh, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter as long as you are aware of um, the the impacts of of fiat money and how it's really, really done a just a tremendous amount of damage on society. the global economy. Yeah. It, it, it's it's it not really just the shame. economy, it's society. It's everything. We talked about it, like, a, I think two podcasts ago, it might've been 60. Um, you can correlate fiat money to about everything, you know, whether you, the degradation of society, I'm, I'm a degenerate, so I, I can't say I'm any better than any people, but um, you, you know, like we, I think I mentioned last podcast, it's like, if you looked at probably divorce rates in America and the sexual revolution, which obviously those two have a comparison, but you, you, you include the 1971 delinkage of gold and fiat money into that. There's a, there's a pretty strong correlation there with divorce rates in America and the uh, delinkage of gold. So that's just another food for thought. Uh, and it, again, it's, it's sad to put it that way, but that's the reality. Fiat money affects everything we do everything yeah yeah there's it's, there's it's, just no way around it's, it's it the, the, the money matters period money is the foundation of our society right now without money we'd go back to bartering and that would completely destroy the global trading system economy we have right now it would completely collapse uh, and it, but we but so many people and i i don't mean to t- uh carry this on longer but i just want to bring this up it's so many people don't realize how important money is to our our um 
society. And you were mentioning last podcast, like Gary Vee talks about, we don't, we aren't taught about money. We aren't taught about properties, et cetera, interest rates, taxes, finance. And it's so, so important. And there's a reason you're not taught about it. They want it. They want people to be worker bees and they want them not to think about these things. Cause if you start asking questions, you start seeing all these cracks in the system. Right. No. Yeah. Everything starts to not make sense unfortunately everything sucks um, as you say <laughs> yeah yeah everything su- i always say that all the time i was just like everything sucks and <laughs> just like uh, huh. it's like on one hand i'm so thankful for bitcoin because that sent me down multiple rabbit holes <sighs> of just economics and uh and and liberty and freedom and and just money in general and and uh, and, and entrepreneurship it's really been um eye-opening but at the same time like i look at everything and just how fiat money has really transformed society as you said globally um into something that just isn't really so great and i just sit back and i I text you this all the time like man like everything just sucks but (laughs) the, the good news is that like we literally have a podcast about this and if if we didn't and other so many other people are talking about the same exact things that we are um that means more people are are waking up to it. That means uh, every time we uh, the the viewers and listeners grow on this podcast, that's a whole new group of people who are who are starting to think the same thing, or they want to learn more. They also think something might be a little funny with how things are going. So, um, if anything else, it's more and more people are starting to come around and and learning these things. So that's what what gives me a lot of hope with all all this. There is hope. There's a glimmer of hope. It's. I was going to say a Star Wars reference. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I didn't even watch Star Wars. <laughs> you went to the episode four, there's like New Hope or whatever the hell, what's yeah. the name of it? Something like yeah, that. I think hope. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a glimmer of hope we see from the finance, whether it's the you know community, whether it's Bitcoin, crypto, Twitter, macro people, they're all kind of converging on this. That stuff isn't adding up. Um, and I'm sure at some point in the next year, we'll get to record the demise of all this. But maybe yeah. more. And if we if we are at a permanent plateau through the 2020s, well, I'm gonna die at the fucking sword. Yeah, no, it's it's a hill. <laughs> live, I'm gonna live I'm by the sword, die down, by the right? sword, dude. I'm dying yeah. by this fucking sword. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's definitely that's, a good way to wrap yeah, it up. Yeah, good way to wrap it up. Uh, episode 62. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah, what was this? Episode 62. Yeah. Um, make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Shoot us a DM. Let us know what you want us to talk about. And as always, you know, keep keep learning out there. Stack sats and uh, take care of yourselves. Peace. Peace.